Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing all around the world. We thank you that the kingdom of God is alive and well, not just in heaven, but on earth. And you are coming and you are bringing your presence, your angels, your sovereignty. Your sovereignty is beginning to be made manifest among the nations. And we just thank you for what you're doing. We just thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're on the Seven Mountain Mandate series, and as you know, the Seven Mountain Mandate is about a better understanding, a more in-depth understanding, we can even say, of the kingdom of God and of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, go ye to all the nations, disciple the nations. It wasn't just for conversions, for souls to be converted, but the Great Commission is that we should see Uh, discipling, the discipling of nations, where he comes and says, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth is mine. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations. And the Seven Mountain Mandate gives us a a template for understanding some of the dimensions of how the kingdom is coming. It goes into the seven head sectors of society, and we have been going through those one by one in uh, in this series. And tonight's Series in the series tonight, the subject is the mountain of religion, and this mountain of religion could also be known as the mountain of worship, and it is the mountain where the church is, and it is the mountain that we have been most familiar with, and the one that for the last 2,000 years we have been doing, I say we, fairly well as the body of Christ. There are, uh, there are reported two or 300,000 uh, believers coming to the Lord. They weren't believers. They're coming to the Lord every day, and that is an astounding and amazing number. And so even though we maybe have not advanced uh, with all uh, the, the, the fire of God that we're supposed to carry, we have still been doing pretty good, and this is, uh, this is a mountain we have shown up on. But it is, becomes the most important of the mountains. Of the seven mountains, if you have a picture of the candlestick, as it were, in the tabernacle, it is, there's the central one where the oil comes through and, and goes on to the other six branches of the candlestick. And the mountain of the house of the Lord, it says in Isaiah 2-2, will be exalted on the tops of the mountains, and the nations will come flowing or running, depending what version of the Bible, to the household of God. And so it is the anointing, it is what's coming out of this mountain where the church is, and out of the church on this mountain displacing the, the, the false religions and the lies and idolatry that then there is a release that goes into the other mountains. And again, on every one of the mountains, we go into the spiritual landscape of the mountains, and that is a recognition of who the enemy is, how he's operating in some measure. And, um, and again, on all these mountains, we are, we are recognizing and pointing out that the enemy doesn't really have an extremely sophisticated plan uh, on each one of the mountains. It's pretty simple what he wants to do. He may go about it in a very complex, multifaceted way, but it's pretty simple what he's trying to do. And um, we'll get into that a little more. But the spiritual landscape, the enemy, which could be the, the common demon or the lie he's using, uh, are, is the parasite. And again, to give you the, the reference point, the template we are using is an understanding of the children of Israel. As they went into the promised land, there were the seven nations greater and mightier than them, as the Lord pointed out to them in Deuteronomy 7, that they were to displace. And as they would, then they would become the head and not the tail. They would be above and not beneath. 
and they would have abundance in all areas. And that is God's heart for us. Abundance, body, soul, and spirit. And, you know, there's the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, all the ites. Well, one of the ites is the parasite. And it is the parasite that uh, corresponds to being the enemy on the mountain of religion. And it represents idolatry. The, the, the name parasite doesn't mean idolatry, but it represents idolatry. What it actually means is without walls. And uh, I can't go in depth for the purposes of, of this message. I think I have uh, more in-depth understanding and teaching on that in the book, The Seven Mountain Prophecy. But without walls is significant because the very thing that idolatry and false gods promise is protection and provision. And the very two things that they promise are the very two things they do not give. And you end up being without walls. And so you will find that the most idolatrous countries on the planet will always be those with the most disasters and the most ruined economies because they are without walls. And it is a fruit of idolatry. So the enemy is idolatry. And the principality that rules on this mountain, uh, to no one's real surprise, is the religious spirit. And now the religious spirit, as with all the principalities that I name in this series, I am not for sure, you know, just 100% sure that it is one of Satan's generals or if it's just another manifestation of Satan himself. If this is just some way he morphs himself because this is something else, it really doesn't matter. It's just sort of like studying darkness after point. It just doesn't really matter the degrees of darkness. We're to bring light to it and displace the darkness that's there. But it gives us an understanding of how he comes and how he is operating on this mountain. The religious spirit, number one, feels religious. And that's part of its effectiveness and how it continues to work on us even when we can be spirit-filled believers and it operates in all sectors of the world and, and in all kinds of cultures. But the religious spirit is the worship thief or false worship, represents false worship. And that comes by idols, by tradition, or by quenching the Holy Spirit. And, um, and we'll get into a, a, a little further depth understanding of that in just a moment. We want to see that our weapon, we also are identifying what we have, the mantle the Lord has for us, the anointing, the weapon uh, for us specifically on this mountain is the Holy Spirit. Here's our weapon. There is the principle of we must come in the opposite spirit of what's ruling there, and it is the religious spirit that rules, and so we come in the Holy Spirit, which is the actual uh, presence and spirit. It's not just some symbolism that feels religious. And when we speak of the Holy Spirit being our weapon, we are speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit. We are also speaking of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We are speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the structure of the Holy Spirit. As we go on a little further uh, in this study tonight, I will uh, go into each one of these just a little bit more so we have some, some understanding But let me point out something I don't think is controversial. At least I'll try to say it in a way that's not controversial. But some way, when we start speaking of the Holy Spirit, it has become more and more, say, obvious to me, particularly some experiences I've had recently that I won't go into right now, that the Holy Spirit very possibly represents 
a feminine dimension of the Trinity. Now, I'm not going to specifically go out on a limb and say that the Holy Spirit is female. It's really not so much gender as it is the way he, she manifests. Um, But it is of interest that the word in the Hebrew, the word for spirit, Holy Spirit, ruach, the wind, the spirit of God, is feminine in the Hebrew. That's just interesting. And even the word in the Greek, pneuma, that is used for spirit there, is it's neutral. It's neuter. It's not uh, one or, or the other. But there is, uh, there is um, just in the way the Holy Spirit manifests and where I see the Holy Spirit manifest in my life, there are aspects of, if you want to say what seems to be the femininity of God that seem to come through uh, very strongly in the Holy Spirit. We know that in Genesis 1, it says that God made man in his image, and he made him male and female in his image. And we kind of go with the father being fairly male and the son being fairly male also. So this could be somewhere in there, either a part of Papa, a part, somehow there is the image, the representation of God that is feminine or female. And so we see that the Holy Spirit becomes the spirit of truth, the helper, the counselor, the detail one, the dove, a little more easily chased off and a little more sensitive not saying you women are oversensitive or anything else like that, but there is something to learn even uh, from that. And so this could help you even in your approach uh, to, to the Holy Spirit, understanding that if it's not gender, there is an aspect of its personality and character that does operate this way. And this is the weapon, this is the element, not just the element, this is the part, uh, I wanted to use the word agent of the Trinity, but it's almost too impersonal, the part of the Trinity that is here, that is working and operating with us and the one that is uh, filling us to the degree where we can bring the light and the glory to all aspects of society. Now, we'll get back to that a little more, but we want to identify, first of all, again, as we're looking into some of the landscape, we've gone into uh, the enemy, the principality that is there, and we want to look in the natural, what is known as the four great religions uh, I say great, that's just what they're called. I don't think three of them are that great. And um, one of them can have uh, its problems at times when there is too much of the religious spirit there. But uh, as of the last numbers that I looked at, Christians around the world, there are 2.2 billion. And of those, 700 million be classified as filled with the Holy Spirit, or had a secondary encounter or experience with the Holy Spirit in some way that extends beyond the other ones. There is a, 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 some extra emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Whether it's enough or not, it is at least some measure that is beyond what is normal. And that is, that is very good. Then there is uh, Islam. There are reported 1.2 billion. And... Uh, Again, there is just tremendous reports and, and secret reports coming in of the thousands and thousands that are coming to the Lord uh, every day. And I have heard a number of over 25,000 Muslims are becoming Christians every day. And a lot of that even can't be fully reported to not bring problems to these specific nations. But um, there is something uh, powerful of God. He really is uh, 
initiating the breaking down of the principality that is behind that because he does have 1 billion to 1.2 billion of his sons and daughters that are in bondage there and the Lord is going after them. But for now, we'll just list it as the secondary uh, great religion. Hinduism, there are 900 million, an estimated 900 million. And uh, of course, in Hinduism, there is in... I've, I don't know, some of you may have heard, I've heard there's 30 million gods in Hinduism, and that's a little excessive, I would say. And um, they worship everything that possibly exists. I didn't know there was 30 million things in society. And so uh, if something exists, there is a demon that gets behind it and says, you're supposed to worship this, and it'll provide you walls, either protection or provision, because that is the great lie behind idolatry. You'll have some greater protection or some greater provision or some combination of both. And then Buddhism, there are uh, an estimated 400 million Buddhists around the world. And other significant uh, religions, there are various Chinese religions, a lot similar with Buddhism in, in ways, and there are around 350 million of them. There are various African religions uh, manifest different degrees of syncretism where there is mixing and matching, uh, even mixing and matching with aspects of Christianity where there, where there is Jesus and God and yet idolatry uh, all, all mixed together. And then we put, make a note that there are 14 million uh, Jews, those in Judaism, around the world. And so this has just given us an understanding of some of uh, the landscape of people and um, that exist around the world. And you may uh, notice that um, we didn't list Satanism as any significant uh, religion. And it's because, it, it, though we often get into worrying about Satanists, and there's reports there's a satanist, satanic or Satanist group in this region or that part, it is not even... One per, one tenth of one percent that could possibly be classified as Satanists around the world. And we may address why, why that is. Well, I think I have it in this next one. I address why that is. We want to look a little bit, understand a little bit of how the religious spirit steals worship. And the religious spirit has this knack for reinventing itself at every level. And no matter where you are, it'll initiate an attack against you. And no matter what experience you have, and no matter how live your church is or your encounter with God, it will continue to work on you and uh, desire to have you stay where you're at and not go any further. But if the religious spirit had its druthers, we'll say, it would like to induce and encourage overt Satanism. Because the religious spirit wants worship that belongs to God. And this would be direct worship thievery. And again, it has very little success. It's just too awful of a concept. You have to be really fractured from inside to even think it's cool to go for Satanism. And so this is, this is a, a very tiny representation of the enemy's darkness on this mountain. Now, it's different when we get to the second area we could call idolatry, which is indirect worship. This is where... A, a, a demon spirit, power, principality, whatever, uh, to the degree he's successful, he becomes another level. Uh, he, he positions himself behind the idol, and the idol is his mask, and so 
he is empowered and he gets stronger and stronger but he, ha- he does it under the cover of whatever, whether it's worship of the sun, of the moon, or uh, they ha- you know, even, again, in various nations, there are saints uh, that get worship. And, and so there is some sense of satisfaction for the demons in that they are not actually getting the direct worship in most cases, but they're able to steal worship that belongs to God. And that is their assignment. That is what they are doing on that mountain. And... Um, the other way the enemy works, again, there's overt Satanism, there's idolatry, and then we can see even in the church and in the field what we would call Christian, there, Christians, there are doctrines that diminish the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, crafty theological treatises that reduce the Holy Spirit's influence. And the goal is to have a Christianity that if we're going to be Christians, that, and if we're going to be ones that na- claim the name of Jesus then at least we don't go much into the Holy Spirit or he is a token symbol and there is not actual a release of the power and presence that he is to provide because it is the Holy Spirit, which is the agent of the Trinity, that is here to displace the darkness on this mountain. And you can say the word, just the name Jesus, and he doesn't want you even to do that, but that at least limits your danger level if you're only a Christian and, and your relationship is with Jesus without an understanding of what the Holy Spirit is, is desiring to do in and through you. And there are, of course, some of these crafty uh, doctrines and, way, and theological treatises become things like dispensationalism, and there's various different uh, perspectives that come out, things often that are hatched in very holy-seeming places like seminary, but the end of it all is that it, it, uh, it really it, it steals... Uh, it steals from our inheritance. It causes us, us to be disbelievers in a God of presence and power. And anything that causes us to disbelieve in a God of presence and power is the work of a religious spirit, whether it's in a Christian context or not in a Christian context. And so we must understand that to have authority to carry light, to carry displacing light and authority on this mountain, we must come in the opposite spirit of what's ruling there. So we don't want to be under this religious thing that is telling us to hold back. And it's very creative, crafty. And I just say that over and over again, he will do that with you in all kinds of unique ways. You know, even if someone is dancing in the spirit and they may be in the spirit, it may be right. uh, This very sophisticated religious thought will come to you. I think they're drawing attention to themselves. And, and and it sounds you know it sounds holy, but it's not because even the original understanding of praise and worship from the Old Testament concept and context was to intentionally draw attention to yourself that you're praising your God. So if that ever bothers any of you, I'm afraid people might think you're draw, you're supposed to draw attention to yourself. I'm being crazy for my God, so it's okay to do that. And it breaks the power of the religious spirit on, in, your own, uh, in your own life. So we want to look at how to gain authority on this mountain. And of course, the way to gain authority on this mountain is to be true worshipers. The scripture we are looking at is John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. 
This becomes a manifestation of God's heart towards us. Again, restating it. On every mountain, the way we carry the kingdom of God is we go in the opposite spirit of the power and principality, the way it operates there. And it's not just about getting influence for influence sake. It is about bringing influence in the nature of our king, showcasing a face, a facet of the face of our God and who the Lord, the Father is seeking, not just true worship, but he is seeking such as our true worshipers, those who will worship him in this capacity. So this becomes uh, a, a holy endeavor of ours, and it's why a very key part of your walk with the Lord does become even how you interact with him in a worship service. Uh, we will not say that this is uh, entirely how your worship is to be judged because you are to worship the Lord with how you live Monday through Saturday, all other days other than church, and we have church on other days also, but you are to, your, your work is to be an aspect of your worship. How you live is to be a way you worship him. But there is something about congregational corporate worship and how you are able to break through against religious resistance that really does impact and change the rest of your life. And the victories you gain there really can extend into all aspects of your life and it becomes of great value. want to understand idolatry a little better. An idol, got a definition for idol. It's an object of adoration, an image of something, a false god, a pretender, an imposter. Again, if you didn't pick that up from before, idolatry becomes really the number one way that religious spirit is stealing worship. If you go into, uh, we didn't go case by case, but Hinduism is entirely, uh, uh, the 900 million in there, it is idolatry driven. If we go even into the 2.2 billion that are classified as Christians, we have to see that there is uh, some significant number, maybe even a billion, that there is some significant idolatry mixed with the Christianity. Uh, even in things of images, graven images and, and things like that. Um, and again, there is a reason other than God just saying, you know, I just don't want you to make graven images. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't make images, representations of heaven or him. And, and, and it, he's not just saying that, so, you know, just to give us a rule that we should have to deal with. It is because you can substitute the representation for the real. You'll go after, you know, if you find out God's shoes were here, then you worship his shoes and you follow his shoes. You don't want to let go of his shoes anywhere. And so you go after something that represents him and that keeps you separated from him. And we can continue to do that, obviously, even in this type of setting, in spirit-filled, charismatic, third-wave, kingdom uh, Christianity, we can, we can manifest different kinds of idolatry and have our own um, idols by various messages or ministers or movements or experiences even, we can stop and, and settle with something that's close to God but it's not God himself. So that becomes a reason why he doesn't want representations of himself in his house because he wants adoration personally to him and not to the thing that represents him. Is that clear? All right, good. So we understand idolatry, an idol, then idolatry is the intense admiration of something or someone who should not be an object of adoration. 
It is spiritual adultery. I kind of really already explained that when you enter into a relationship. Because what worship is, is a release of your greater passion. A release of your most sanctified passion. And if that is going towards an idol or something else, the Lord really does. You can see we could go through, I don't know how many scriptures, 25, 30, 50 scriptures, where you see that God considers it directly as some equivalent of adultery to have idols. And it's the thing that breaks his heart because it's like you're looking to something for provision and protection when that is who he is, not just something he does. And it is the ultimate poke in his eye. And so that's why he will render a judgment uh, multiple scriptures will also tell you that that he will render judgment in these end days on idolatry, on idols. It's really on idols. And if the people of this world are hugging their idols too tightly when that comes, they will also feel that which was not intended for them. I just better leave that one there. Back to the preeminent role of the Holy Spirit on the mountain of religion. We want to again look at the person of the Holy Spirit, knowing the God of presence. And this is, uh, this is a way that you can grow. You cultivate an understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person of the Trinity. And again, it's, if it's not an actual feminine gender, there is something of its manifestation that is like that. And, and, and so you want to... You want to learn to, uh, to recognize the things that please the Holy Spirit and the things that displease the Holy Spirit. And there is, it's a great representation, again, this thing of the dove, the Holy Spirit as a dove, and, and how, you know, this dove is this very pure thing, but as you're around doves, you know, they, they jittery in, in a certain way. They can be chased off in that way, and, and we can do the same thing. And there's this thing of quenching the Holy Spirit, quench not the Holy Spirit, displease not uh, the Holy Spirit. And so this becomes uh, something that becomes a great endeavor of ours and, a, and, a, and an awesome uh, pursuit of your life is to understand better the person of the Holy Spirit and the desire to know that which the Holy Spirit is pleased with and what it is uh, displeased with. And, and uh, you know, some of the, the original teachings that came from the, the birthing of the Pentecostal movement, you know, around the Azusa Street time and, and then... Just, you know, depending how long you've been exposed to the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, you can, it almost, it's the, you know, the, I tell you, you get the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is this, uh, you know, it's this impersonal something, the Holy Ghost. And, and, uh, and we really have to think of this as not just the Holy Ghost as some, you know, I don't know, a billy club from heaven that we use or, or, or something to, to beat the devil with, but it's a someone an, an element, an aspect, a person of the Trinity that we interact and relate to that brings to us the very practical uh, presence of heaven. And we understand he is a God of presence. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, I'm going to leave. And it's better for you that I leave. He says this in the book of John. And I will go and I will send, have the Father send the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you. And he will lead you into all truth. There are things I would like to tell you now, but I can't tell you now. You can't handle the truth right now if you want to, you know, that could be what he was saying there, to pick a line from a a movie. And uh, he said, but I will send the Holy Spirit and he will teach you things to come. He will remind you of things that I've said, but he will tell you things to come. 
And this is a specific uh, permission given to the Holy Spirit by Jesus and those who say, you got to watch out for these spirit-filled believers who are always hearing from the Holy Spirit things that aren't in Scripture. Well, Jesus said there are things that aren't in the Scripture that I'm going to tell you. But the Holy Spirit that I send will tell you these things. And he so emphasized the value of the Holy Spirit that in the book of Acts chapter 2, if you remember, he tells his disciples, he says, listen, I'm going and you've been with me three and a half years. You've been learning all my truth. You've watched me operate in power. I've released dimensions of that power to you in moments. And you've been mentored and discipled by the God of the universe for three and a half years. But you are of no service to me unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Unless you interact and operate under this aspect of the Godhead here on earth. So wait, 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 wait for the promise of the Father. When he comes, you will be endued with power. And you will be witnesses to me, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he established a high priority of life with the Holy Spirit. And again, the way the Holy Spirit works, you would think if you go to traditional denominational upbringing, and this is not to attack them, it's just a reality of how crafty the enemy is, you would think that the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures. But the Holy Scriptures say, that the Holy Spirit is what we are waiting for. He is the spirit of truth. He leads us into the next dimension of all that we must have. So the person of the Holy Spirit is very important. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, knowing the God of power. And we could look at that in 1 Corinthians 12. We won't do that, but it lifts all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also comes in power. His power testifies of his love. His love testifies of his power. If you hear people seek the giver, not the gift, they go together. He is the God of love and power. If you speak of this great God of love, but he really has no power, you've kind of, you know, this is not really a great alternative to those who don't know God. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to believe this guy who has no significant power can forgive my sins and he can take me to heaven and I can have this eternal life. It's just an incredible thing, but you can't manifest any power. And so we must manifest a gospel of power and love. We don't sacrifice either one. His power testifies of his love. The gifts of healing, faith, words, revelatory words, they're all speaking. He loves me or he loves you. We know that even in the prophetic Messages that come through this church, the Friday night meetings, the people that come in to receive prophetic ministry, they feel loved by God. The power of his words and the power of him letting uh, people know that he understands where they are in life and where they've been and where they want to go, that tells them, oh, my God loves me. His power always testifies his love. People who are healed by him, it tells them God loves. And so Power speaks of love, love of power, and they are inseparable from each other. And we must manifest that type of gospel in order to displace darkness. Because there is, in this dark mountain, in the, in the areas of idolatry and witch doctors and things, there are manifestations of power. And you go into Africa and South America and other places, missionaries have found this. They have come with a sort of weak a gospel where it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures, and they have been chased out of there in a moment because they are not prepared to handle the power encounters they will, they will face because they are not operating with the agent of the Holy Spirit and what he brings 
to the table, so to speak. So then the fruit of the Holy Spirit is knowing the God of character. And we want to know the God of power. We want to know the God of presence. But we want to know the God of character. And again, it is, it is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of him being in us, of us interacting with him, of us knowing how he thinks how he responds, of getting to know. It's not like you just look at the scriptures and you know it. It's a lifelong pursuit, growing and understanding and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And it what gives you a displacing anointing to operate on this mountain of, of religion, knowing the God of character, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. All those things become not something you're supposed to do if you're a Christian. They become the fruit of the fruit of life in the Holy Spirit. Because if not, then you have to get into will worship and try to produce it out of your mind. Oh, I'm a Christian. I need to be kind. I need to be gentle. And that's kind of going the second route. It's, you know, it's, it, you're, you're doing something. You really uh, in no way uh, feel as a function of coming from inside of you. The kingdom of God is inside of you, Jesus said. And out of the kingdom of God inside of you, you can yield to the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is there. Now, if many of you have... Uh, a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'll just tell you something as simple as saying, Holy Spirit, I need your fruit of love to manifest through me right now is the equivalent of you climbing up the tree and eating the fruit of love and it really will operate and be released through you at that moment. It can be that simple just to make room for it. It is there. The kingdom of God is within you. If you have had a, a, a release of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can request and eat at that moment. If you need to physically say, I'm going to eat of the fruit of peace because that's what's inside of me. I have that tree inside of me. And you eat of that. Watch, just try it right now. Eat fruit of peace. Just eat it right now. You feel that? You actually get peace. Peace that passes understanding. You can do that with all the fruit of the Holy Spirit you need. And you don't have to try to produce it from your brain, from your mind. But we, go, we, we can grow in the God of character and righteousness. And then there's the structure of the Holy Spirit. Knowing the God of intentionality. And uh, Ephesians 2.20, we are not listing that scripture here. But Ephesians 2.20 speaks about the household of God. The household of God is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And this becomes also that something that is released and washed over as an operation of the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 4.11 says, tells us about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, who are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And again, we, we're still figuring that out as the body of Christ, how the fivefold ministry operate. How not to have, we have a pretty disorderly church model. The greater model that we have in this country is a, a, a deficient, disorderly one. There's stronger words I could use. But the idea that there is a pastor who has to do everything. He has to administrate, counsel, marry, bury, do everything. And he has to be the Superman hero. And then they burn out. There's 15,000 pastors quit the ministry every year, if you don't know. And part of it... And there's multiple reasons, but one is they're trying to fulfill a role that they can't do. So if any of you are upset with me not doing everything in this church, you know why. I can't. You're not, okay. But we have uh, Elizabeth and a whole team of pastors and moms and papas that provide a pastoral culture from within the church also. And that is how a healthy body is to operate. The idea that you have, uh, you know, it's as ridiculous as in the natural if you have a parent 
you know, there's, it's why there's a, a, a TV series on the, what's the one they have, 19 kids? The, uh, my daughters watch it all the time. The who? The Duggards. Thank you for that. They have 19 kids, and it's a, it's a news item. Because to think of two parents trying to take care of and raise 19 kids is like, what? how in the world do you do that? Well, it's the same thing. You can't really realistically have a church where there's a mama and papa, and they, you know, handle several hundred or several thousand people in a real pastoral uh, personal way. And so that's part of our growing even in, in, in understanding how church is supposed to uh, operate. But there is supposed to be a release that comes through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so we're still learning how to make that work within the body of Christ. And then we understand that in the seven mountain context, there is pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists in the other sectors of society. As we are going through this series, we are addressing how these uh, five-fold ministry operate and show up in these other sectors of society so that we're not trying to uh, create uh, the idea, the illusion within a congregation that we can equip an entire congregation to find have pulpit time. As we have said before, if you haven't heard it before, I will tell you, only 3% of a congregation will ever have a role in a church structure being either youth pastor, uh, whether they're choirs, children's ministry, whatever, that there is only 3% of a congregation that will ever attain to that. And so we've only modeled, we've only taught before that that is the desired goal to be holy. You gotta be somebody who has pulpit timer and church staff. Of course, we're now teaching you part of the Seven Mountain teaching is that it is just as valid and legitimate to have a, a pulpit platform that looks different than this type of pulpit and platform in these other sectors of society. And you are to bring God's presence, his solutions, his answers, his glory to those other sectors of society. And so the equipping of the saints is not just for how can you function in a church meeting on one day on Sunday and everybody have their time to do so. And there are different models. Again, it's all right. You know, there's a lot of the home church thing going on and there's some good models of it and some uh, more deficient ones. But when there's uh, this, uh, you know, part of the utopian perspective of many of the home church models, it gives everyone an opportunity to have a voice in a psalm and, a, and to say a word and everybody wants to be able to say something. That's okay. But when, when you live your life around trying to get five or 10 minutes in on a Sunday or whatever day it is, and that's supposed to be your expression of Christianity, that is a deficient model. It's how you live Monday through Saturday. It's your work, where you show up, and where you want to see how you can operate in the gifts of God there, the power of God, the words of God, receive the kingdom in that context. And that was not even part of my notes. I could go off that for 15 minutes, but we won't do that. Actually, for about two hours, and I won't go on that one. All right, as we're winding down, we want to speak of the impact of the Holy Spirit, uh, and particularly in the last 110 years, in the last just a little over a century. And these are some numbers, and I, I forget to, uh, where I exactly got these, but they're uh, corroborated in several, by several different agencies. This might have been uh, the Lausanne evangelistical committee, or I forget what they're even called right now, uh, have a, a blank there. But bottom line, in 1900, one in 27 was a Christian. One in 27 persons of the world, of human beings, was a Christian. And in the early 1900s, there began an explosion of the Holy Spirit. What we know about most 
uh, is the Azusa Street Revival that was birthed out of Los Angeles. We know about the things uh, in Wales and Ireland also. And then there are islands all around the world that began to be affected. And there was a relative handful of people who even spoke in tongues and operated and an understanding of the Holy Spirit beyond it just being sort of a punctuation addition in your, in your scripture reading uh, up until that point. But starting in 1900, there began to be released. All the charismatic Pentecostal denominations were birthed uh, subsequently over the next years and decades from what took place there. It was a manifestation that they understood even another manifestation of, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters. And there was some new dimension. And really the world has changed forever from that point on. And we'll get into that. There is some good change and not, some not so good change. Year 2010, now, reportedly there are one in four of the world are Christians. So if you go back and look, it was one in 27, 1900, that in 110 years we've gone from being one in 27 to one in four. And uh, even truly born again, we could maybe reduce it to one in five. Again, it's, uh, these are just general numbers, but they're not wrong by, by much in the, in the context. And so... There has been this amazing uh, explosion even of conversions that have taken place because of uh, the release, the increase of the Holy Spirit being poured out on his sons and daughters. And uh, of those uh, that are believers and Christians, we point out that around 700 million of them are charismatic or Pentecostal or third wave or, or kingdom. There's all kinds of different terminologies for them, but that comes out to being about one in 10 in the world is now spirit-filled, some kind of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Again, there's still even uh, those who would consider themselves to be Holy Spirit-filled believers, there are uh, understandings uh, of the dimension of the Holy Spirit we can be filled with that uh, um, we must grow in. Like for the initial ex uh, explosion in the early 1900s, the great experience everyone must have was to have the gift of tongues. You have the gift of tongues, and that was the evidence, that, the proving, the testing, that, that you have the secondary experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and that, become, that just became like this uh, bigger-than-life matter of speaking in tongues as if you had now arrived and if a church that all had the gift of tongues, then that would be it all. But it was sort of like when you're used to operating in a riverbed with no water and then something ankle deep comes and then you say that's the whole thing. And so there are other dimensions of the Holy Spirit that came and particularly in the 1940s and 50s, we see a manifestation of his, of his healing power, unprecedented. There was over, uh, during a time there, there were over 100 evangelists in their tents that would fill their tents every night with, uh, with people in the thousands in, in all these tents. They would, healings were very common in the, in the United States. And people would come out of wheelchairs and, and, and there, was, there, was, there became this evidence. Wow, the Holy Spirit's not just here for tongues. The Holy Spirit is here for manifestation of God's power. Then you go into uh, the Jesus movement, the 60s and the 70s, the charismatic movement and, there, and a better understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how he is the God that operates in many other giftings and forms. And there is uh, the, the prophetic giftings and, and there is, uh, you know, there's more on the healing but faith and there's faith teachings and messages and all this. And so there began to be progressively 
a greater understanding that there are more dimensions of the Holy Spirit. In the recent uh, last couple of decades, a lot of emphasis on the five-fold ministry, the structure of the Holy Spirit. That this structure of the Holy Spirit is that we must figure out how to incorporate in that, that into our, uh, a reality for us as a church because this is how he's building his church. The household of God is built on these ministries in some way. And so there's been an attempt to receive and, 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 and have more of his power in us through that. And, and sure enough, there has been this, this growing dimension and, and uh, manifestation of the kingdom of God. And, and there's been progressively as the decades have advanced from 1900 to 2000, there has been a, a sequential increase of those coming to the Lord. As we make more room for the Holy Spirit, then there are more that come to the Lord and a greater percentage, much greater percentage of those coming to the Lord now. I, don't, I think it's something in the vicinity of 90% of those who come to the Lord come to the Lord out of some encounter, uh, out of some meeting situation that is connected to the Holy Spirit spirit uh, groups, if you want to say, the charismatics, the, the Pentecostal, the third wave, whatever it is, there, and the religions that are dying, the denominations that are dying are those that quench the Holy Spirit no matter how craftily they do it. And those denominations are drying up and they're disappearing and it's not for a whole lot of reasons that they are studying. They're looking, it's so interesting to watch some of these mainline denominations while they're having these internal uh, boards and policy discussions and all that of why they think they are losing people and why the next generation's not coming. But the primary reason is the Holy Spirit is not welcome the way he's supposed to be welcome and it will die ultimately because it just won't work. It's not effective and a generation will rise and say, that's just religion. And we can be in the name of Jesus and still just carry uh, religion. All right. What becomes even a great hope for us is a continual repeating of what we've seen already. Peter said in the book of Acts 2, he said, This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass that in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the New Testament church was birthed at that time. And we see that there are continual manifestation measures of that. And, and possibly, again, the Azusa Street timetable, the early 1900s become a very uh, clear demarcation in the spirit of when the Holy Spirit was released in the new measure. Almost, we could say, it's the impact of it is similar to what that New Testament birthing of the church was and that there was... In a way, almost uh, 1,900 years had gone by before seeing another release to that dimension. And so the Holy Spirit was released, and we continue to get these new waves and, and new understandings and new insights into the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the love, the power, the structure, the character of the Holy Spirit. And as we make room for the Holy Spirit, then he begins to release, and this becomes what we look forward to in these last days, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out of my spirit. And this is something I just want to uh, state that we so much, we get into fretting often as the church, as the body of Christ. And we put so much emphasis on the things, you know, these scriptures that how we have to repent if my people, which are called by my name. And it's very true and all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you there's something about the sovereignty of God that is absolutely is going to be the one, the guarantor of this thing 
being fulfilled the way God wants it to, where the father says to the son, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. I'm gonna release of the Holy Spirit upon them and they are gonna catch this dimension of the Holy Spirit. And we see that even revivals that give us a taste of that, things like in Toronto and Brownsville, there is this measure of the Holy Spirit that people can't handle and so they fall and shake and all kinds of things, but it just changes everything. And there is, I believe we have entered into a, a unique new season of pouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. And he's, in a way, there's a waiting of an understanding, even this template of the seven mountains, why he's pouring out the Holy Spirit. Because to go back, for those of you who remember, say, the Toronto uh, renewal and blessing, we didn't, there seemed to be the body of Christ didn't really know why it was coming. It was like just to get goosebumps and tell somebody else about it and let's do it. It's like the end was to go to gas station after gas station, fill up and just watch the thing run over and, and then go to the next gas station, get some more gas and fill up. But he's doing this so we can carry his glory to all sectors of society. And to the degree we get a greater understanding, this becomes the wineskin for the Holy Spirit to be poured into and we will continue to see uh, more and more of that anointing and presence, an angel, angelic help being released upon his sons and daughters. John 16, 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The effect of the increase of the Holy Spirit is he convicts the world of sin. We put, again, we put a lot of pressure of that on ourselves or certain denominations that put that pressure. But as the Holy Spirit increases in a place, what he naturally does is convict of sin. It's the goodness of the Lord that begins to lead them repentance. Jesus was speaking here in John 16 of the Holy Spirit. So that, that is why we continue to place our emphasis on him. Isaiah 61, 11, all nations will praise him. It says there, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. The sovereign Lord, kind of reestablishing the point I was just making, it's the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. It said, this is as natural as soil makes sprout come up and as garden causes seed to grow, this is just something that will happen. And I believe we are a privileged generation and, and you can just sense what's going on in the world. For those of us of you and us that stay in tune with the Holy Spirit, you can't be discouraged because these are the best of time, the best of years, the best season. It is intense. There is darkness, gross darkness, but if we will go after him, he releases into us the certainty of the change that is coming upon the world. And there is such massive uh, change taking place every day. Uh, you know, I, every day I just like, oh my goodness, I wish I could point out to the church what is taking place and we're trying to set up where we can release these video clips uh, on uh, the church's Facebook just to keep you updated on what's happening. But the changes around the world, it's like every day, it seems like every month the, church, the world is advancing 10 years and, and there's just change and change and change and the Holy Spirit is looking for sons and daughters with whom to partner with and as certainly as he lives, he will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. Just the closing uh, uh, acknowledgement, the geographical headquarters, every one of these mountains, there is a place in the world where you could say is the geographical central altar, the geographical headquarters for uh, the mountain of religion is Jerusalem. And there will be a redemptive 
manifestation of God's power and of the Holy Spirit in the physical, geographical Jerusalem. There will be something there. And if you go to Jerusalem, you understand that it will take an act of God to change that. It is so complicated what is taking, what it, what it looks there. And every, every religious demon from hell has a talent into Jerusalem, understanding that this is ultimately where God has to showcase his kingdom and, and the mountain of the house of the Lord being exalted on the tops of the mountains. Jerusalem is key, Isaiah 62, 2. And give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. And that is what we can be certain will happen. That it's not done until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Jerusalem is the news in all the earth. Amazingly, this tiny little uh, country and a, a the city that should be relatively insignificant compared to, I don't know, 50, 100, I think there's at least 100 uh, cities of the world that have a greater population than Jerusalem, but they cannot avoid, it, it cannot be avoided, even the news today, yes, every day. It's, I think it's a rarity anymore for a newspaper to have uh, an entire newspaper not say something about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in the news. They can't help it. It is going to be a centerpiece of the last days, and we are, uh, he will not rest, and he will not cease until he has made Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. That is what we're looking forward to also. This is part of connecting uh, the various pieces of the puzzle as it relates to the mountain of religion. Amen. We are done with the mountain of religion there then. So let me just pray for you. Yes. I want to ask you just to stand with me. I just want to uh, just pray towards a release of more of the Holy Spirit, both for those that are here in the local church and those who are watching online, those who will listen to the message uh, online, and those this will be going to various schools of ministry also. And I believe the Lord will release a measure of the Holy Spirit even as you're watching this right now. So if you'll just close your eyes and just hold your hands out like this, just to receive from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for who you are. And I just thank you for what you have been doing on the face of the earth. Thank you for what you've been doing in recent years, what you've been doing the last century. We just continue to invite you to increase. We invite you to increase in the city that we live in. We invite you to increase in the nation that we live in. We invite you to live in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own spirits. Holy Spirit, invade our hearts. If you'll just say in some way, Holy Spirit, invade my heart. Holy Spirit, I ask that even right now, you would release a new hunger for you, a new hunger for understanding you, for knowing you, for partnering with you, for working with you. It's so interesting, your name is Helper. We do it, you help us. You're not, your name isn't Doer, your name is Helper. You are looking for sons and daughters who will understand what Papa is about, about seeing the name of God made famous in all the earth, about seeing the whole earth filled with his glory. And you will help those who begin to recognize that. And you will help and you will send your personal presence and your personal peace, your personal faith, joy, 
all the things that come out of just who you are. Even as I speak your name, Holy Spirit, I begin to feel these aspects, these dynamics of who you are. And I ask for release of those, Lord, even right now. Holy Spirit, just release presence, power, faith, the prophetic giftings. Healing be released. To be a release even now into the whole earth as we're saying it. Holy Spirit, release, release, release power, release again. We wait on you again for another release. What you released on the day of Pentecost. We really are fairly worthless. Anywhere from worthless to fairly worthless, even in advancing your kingdom, we don't have enough knowledge of the scriptures, of principles, of anything to advance without you and your power. So we say, come in power. Come on me now with power. Come on us now with power. Let this be a place known for your power, your presence. Let healings increase wherever this is being heard right now. Let healings be increased from this moment forward. Let your word be increased from this moment forward. Your prophetic word and understanding of supernatural things. That wisdom, revelation, truth flow. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you. And we forget that. We forget that. I forget that, Holy Spirit. He's coming in. (laughs) Thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming in. Come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. Holy Spirit, come in. Anyway, we've offended you. We say, please forgive us. Please forgive me. Anyway, we've just treated you carelessly. Please forgive me. Please forgive us. Come in. Come in. Let us be people of the presence. People of the presence. Let us be people of the presence. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.